Well, uh, don't you just love kids? I think kids are awesome. Right? Uh, they're fun. Yeah. They're energetic. A life without children would be just so dull. I mean, uh, kids really brighten your day, right? I mean, literally. They don't shut any of the lights off. Right? And uh, the whole house is lit up like a Christmas tree. They brighten your day. And uh, sometimes kids misunderstand things. I remember one time when Melody was young and Jill was trying to explain to her about the hot elements in the toaster. And she got a puzzled look on her face and said, there are elephants in the toaster? Hot elephants in the toaster? She was only four. All right? She doesn't think that anymore now that she's in her 20s. You know, some kids are really smart, like, like this kid. Go ahead and show that video. 12 squared. 144. She asked him what's 12 times 12. What is 145 squared? Whoa, that's a high. <laughs> 21,025. Okay. This. No, you got it right. That's. Some kids are really smart, right? Some kids are just smart Alex. Right? Like these two brothers who are always getting into trouble. Whenever something went wrong uh, at school or in the neighborhood, they always knew it was these two brothers. And, uh, and so finally their mother uh, didn't know what to do, so thought, you know, I know what I'll do. I'll bring them to the pastor. The pastor will straighten them out. And uh, so the pastor said, all right, I I'll, I'll try. And so wanted to talk to them one at a time and first brought the younger one in, and he wanted to put the fear of God in them, wanted to con convince them that, you know, wherever they were, whatever they were doing, God saw them. So he brought this younger one in, sat him down, looked him right in the eye, looked over his glasses and said, young man, where is God? And the young man didn't know what to say. He was nervous. He just sort of stared back with his mouth dropped open for a little bit and didn't respond. So the preacher looked at him again over his glasses and said, young man, where is is God. And so this time the kid's a little bit nervous and he began to look around nervously. He didn't know what to do. He's looking around and finally the, the preacher got his attention again and said, young man, where is God? And this time the kid panicked, ran out of the office, down the hall and out, burst out the doors to the steps where his older brother was waiting and said, man, we are in trouble. And he said, in big trouble? Why? He says, yeah, big trouble. God's lost and they think we did it. Some kids are just smart Alex, right? Some kids are talented with sports or basketball, or some people, some are talented with music, uh, but they're all awesome. All gifts from God. You know, a few weeks ago on Mother's Day, I preached on the tremendous value of a mom. Last week, Pastor Jen uh, spoke just a little bit about um, the value of youth ministry in light of the return of Jesus. And on, next week on Father's Day, I'm going to preach on the tremendous value of a dad. Uh, but today, I'm preaching a message called The Tremendous Value of a Kid. Kids are valuable. God places tremendous value on children. And all throughout Scripture, we see places where value is placed on children. So this morning, we're going to focus on just one of those stories. And it's found in the Gospel of Mark, chapter 10, verses 13 to 16. That's Mark, chapter 10, verses 13 to 16. And so let's read this passage together, and then we'll come back and unpack it. And it says this. 
People were bringing little children to Jesus for him to place the, his hands on them. But the disciples rebuked them. When Jesus saw this, he was indignant. He said to them, let the little children come to me and do not hinder them. For the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. Truly, I tell you, anyone who will not receive the kingdom of God like a little child will never enter it. And he took the children in his arms, placed his hands on them, and blessed them. Would you pray with me? God, thank you so much for the children that are in our lives, the children that are in our church, in the body of Christ here, God. And uh, thank you for this scripture. Open our hearts, open our ears, open our minds, God, to what you have to say to us this morning. For it's in the name of the Lord Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen. Children are wonderful gifts from God. And this passage of Scripture is an amazing passage of Scripture. Let me just uh, give you a little context. Jesus is on his way to Jerusalem for the last time, and he, he knows he's heading for the cross. He, he's warned his disciples about this several times. And, uh, and, and one day on this trip, in the middle of this intense trip to Jerusalem, all these people are there, all these people showed up, and, and they're bringing little children to Jesus. And they want him to place his hands on them and bless them. But the disciples, they rebuked them, and, uh, and we're not exactly sure why. Maybe they thought children were a bother. Uh, uh, maybe they thought that they were doing Jesus a favor. Maybe they thought that, that Jesus thought that children were a nuisance, or uh, maybe they thought that his schedule was too busy or crowded. We're not sure exactly, but they rebuked these parents who were bringing these children to Jesus. And it looks like what is happening is that the disciples are acting as some kind of ushers or as, as crowd control, and uh, they're keeping things organized and letting people go through to Jesus, maybe one or two or three at a time so to keep things organized. But all of the children are being turned away. They aren't letting any children through. Now, can you imagine that? It must have caused a fuss because the disciples ended up rebuking the people. I mean, can you imagine what it must have been like for those parents? I mean, they heard that Jesus was coming through town, this, this miracle worker is coming through town, and uh, here they made the effort to get their kids dressed and out of the house, and, and maybe they had told the kids about Jesus. You know, it's not every day that a miracle worker comes through town, and it would have been exciting. I mean, they, they had lived pretty much a mundane lifestyle. Not a lot exciting happened uh, in these little towns throughout Judea in that day. And uh, now there's a miracle worker coming through town. They're excited to see Jesus. But now these important men who are near Jesus are rebuking them. Sorry, people, not today. Get away. Get away from Jesus. Keep these children away from Jesus. Get them away from the rabbi. I mean, that would have made them upset. Now, can you imagine how the kids feel? I mean, I mean try to see it through their eyes for a minute if you can. They're, they're excited to see Jesus. After all, it's not every day that this miracle worker comes and your parents have told you, hey, you're going to get to see Jesus. He's wonderful. He's awesome. And, and you get there and these people who are close to Jesus, they seem angry. They seem upset. They're upset with your parents. You don't know why. Uh, but they're telling you to shoot. Get away. You're, you're bothering the master. And just when as a kid you're thinking, man, this stinks. I thought I was going to get to see Jesus today. And, uh, or just when, as a mother, you know, you're experiencing this mom guilt because you told your kids that they get to experience something and it's not going to happen. Or when, as a dad, you know, you're thinking about having it out verbally with the crowd control people who are preventing your kids from seeing Jesus. Suddenly, Jesus steps in, and he's upset with the disciples, and he says, let the children come to me. And so this is the story of how Jesus and his disciples react to children in the midst of a stressful life. 
And there are several important lessons that can be learned. There are four ideas that I want you to take away from this story that show us the tremendous value of a kid. So let's unpack it together. The first one is this. Kids are so tremendously valuable that we should lead them to Jesus. Lead them to Jesus. Look at verse 13 again. It says this. People were bringing little children to Jesus for him to place his hands on them. There was something about these parents in this story. There's something in them that knew it was important to get their kids to Jesus. It says they wanted Jesus to place his hands on them and bless them. Now, they may not all have understood everything that was going on, but they understood enough to know that it was important to get their kids around Jesus. They wanted the influence of Jesus on their children. They wanted the touch of Jesus on their lives. Say, our kids, your kids, your grandkids need the touch of Jesus on their lives. They need the influence of Jesus on their lives. These parents recognize that Jesus is vitally important. He's the most important person our children will ever meet, the most important person our grandchildren will ever meet. You know, there's a lot. There's a lot of important things in a child's life. There's a lot of things that we're concerned about as parents and as grandparents. Are they healthy? Are they emotionally solid? Are they well-fed? Are they doing well in school? Are they developing like they should? What will they become when they grow up? What college will they go to? Who are they going to marry? All of these, all of these things are important. All of these things are things that good parents, good grandparents think about. And then to make sure that they're happy and they're developing well, we get them involved in all kinds of things. Everything under the sun to get involved in. We want them to be involved in, right? I mean, good things, wholesome things, clubs, activities, sports, all kinds of things. And, uh, and I think that most of these things are not, they're not inherently bad or evil, right? We want our kids involved in wholesome things, you know? And so my daughters, for example, they were involved in clubs and, and, uh, and, and musicals and sports. But can I tell you, there's nothing... There is nothing more important than bringing your kids to Jesus. There is no relationship that they need that is more important than their relationship with Jesus. No activity that is more important than Jesus' activity. You know, there may be many relationships that are important in a child's life, right? Relationships with parents, vitally important. Relationships with teachers and coaches, very important relationships in their lives, but none of them is more important than having a relationship with Jesus because their relationship with Jesus is the only one that affects their eternal destiny. They need a relationship with Jesus in order to receive eternal life. Other relationships may be important for this life, and they may be important for, for their development in this life, but a relationship with Jesus makes a difference for eternity. And here's the challenge. Here's the challenge. The things that we get our kids uh, involved in, I mean, they're not evil, right? We don't want to expose them to evil. We want them to be involved in wholesome things, right? It's not like we're saying, hey, why don't you go hang out on the street corner down where that gang is, you know, the one that sells drugs, and, and just you know, kind of get in with them. I mean, we don't say that to them, right? It's, like, it's not like we're saying, hey, try this cigarette. You'll like it, right? We don't do that. Or, hey, Try this bottle of alcohol. You'll like it. You'll enjoy it, right? Or, or here's some pornography. We don't say that to kids, right? Because we don't want them involved in all that type of evil stuff, right? So, so we want them involved in wholesome activities. You know, and there's nothing inherently evil about, about a lot of these activities. But the danger comes 
when these other activities become more important than Jesus' activities. It comes when their relationship with these activities becomes more important than their relationship with Jesus. They become the weeds that we talked about a few weeks ago in our Growing God sermon, where the desire for other things chokes out the Word of God, chokes out our relationship with Jesus. You know, I've been a pastor long enough now that I've seen this pattern occur more times than I wish that I had seen it. It's a pattern in which Jesus comes last. The things of Jesus come last. And, uh, you know, we want Jesus to be part of our lives. You know, we want Jesus to be a part of our children's lives. We want Jesus to be a part of our lives. And uh, therein lies the problem. Therein lies the seed of the weed. We want him to be a part of our lives. We want him to, to fit in with, the, with our lives and our priorities. We, we want to manage him like we manage the rest of our lives. But the problem is, Jesus doesn't want to be managed. He wants to be master. He wants to be in control. He, he tends to want to take the wheel. He, he tends to want to drive. He tends to want to decide where we're going. He wants to be the Lord and the master. He wants to be the most important relationship in our lives. And, uh, and so there's the struggle. Jesus wants to be master, but we want to, to manage him. And, and I've seen this pattern where it seems like sometimes everything else comes first. And Jesus comes last because we want him to fit into our lives. And so every time some other activity infringes on Jesus' activities, the other activity takes precedence. You know, oops, well, the coach called a practice. I've got to miss impact girls or rangers, you know. Um, or they called a rehearsal that wasn't scheduled. I've got, got to miss church on Sunday. Or, or now they're scheduling, you know, baseball Sunday mornings or football or basketball or whatever. Sunday mornings, the games, and uh, oh, I, have to, I have to miss church. Putting Jesus last. And I know someone's going to say, you know, Pastor Paul, you know, it's really not going to matter if one time, you know, you know, we miss church or something because of this thing. This one time is really not going to make that much of a difference. Well, can I tell you, probably you're right. If it's one time, probably you're right. But the problem with the pattern that I'm talking about that I have seen more often than I wish that I have seen is that usually it's not one time. It's many, many, many one times. It's always just one time. But after 10 or 15 years of, of one times, the message is this. The tragically unintended message becomes this, that there are some things that are more important than Jesus. I mean, we don't say that. We never say that out loud, right? But it's the unspoken message that Jesus is nice if you can fit him in, but don't let him interrupt the more important things. And then somewhere along the line, when, when our kids become teenagers and they go off to college, they start acting on this message. They start acting like they believe this message. And the number of times that I have had parents come to me um, after following a pattern like this for a number of years and say, you know what, Pastor Paul, can you pray with me? Because, you know, my, 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 my teenager suddenly does, I don't know what's going on, but they suddenly just don't want to have any involvement with church or with youth group. You know, or my, or my college-age kids suddenly just, they went off to college, they got all this freedom, now they just don't want anything to do with church, they don't want anything to do with Jesus. And, uh, and here's the question, if we teach them when they're little that everything else comes before church, everything else comes before Jesus, then why would anyone be surprised when they reach 10th grade or get a driver's license and a job that everything else comes before church? Or why would we be surprised when they get to college and everything else comes before Jesus, right? So, so here's what Jill and I did. 
You know, our, our girls were involved in all sorts of activities. They were involved in, in musicals, and they were involved in sports. I mean, I don't know if I can count the number of soccer games we went to. I mean, they had fall soccer and winter soccer, indoor soccer and spring soccer and uh, summer soccer. I mean, they just like soccer, right? I don't know if we could count how many. So if anyone thinks I'm preaching against sports or against um, other activities, you know, I, I'm not. You know, I, God, they're a blessing. And, the, you know, these things were fun. It was a good activity. We got to meet other parents. Got to, got, they got some exercise. They got to learn teamwork. And they got to learn how to be a good winner and a good loser. But at the beginning of every season, we had a very respectful conversation with the coach in which we let them know that our kids would be in church on Sunday morning. And uh, thus, they would be unavailable for any games or any practices uh, on, on Sunday morning. And then we also let them know they are in a program called Impact Girls on, on Wednesday evening, and they wouldn't be available Wednesday evening uh, either. And we'd have a, a respectful conversation. Is that going to be a problem? And, uh, and sometimes we'd look for a team that didn't practice on Wednesday night. The same was true with rehearsals for, for other things, and musicals and that type of thing. We'd say, you know what, here's the schedule, we can do that, you know, but we'd let them know, look, if you're going to do a surprise rehearsal on a Sunday or something, kid's not going to be there because Jesus comes first. We wanted to set a pattern that over and over and over and over again in their lives, Jesus comes first. And we made up our mind that if, uh, if somebody looked at us and said, you know what, you have to make a decision. It's either Jesus or this. It was going to be Jesus. Do you know that in all those years, I don't think we ever had one person say that. You know, we, we get afraid that all these things are going to happen and uh, afraid of all this stuff. And, you know, nobody ever had a problem with that. But I know someone might say, you know, Pastor Paula, but you don't understand. There are some coaches that they'll just, uh, you know, what if the coach uh, gets angry at my kid and takes it out on them and then sits them down and they don't play as much? Well, can I tell you what? That would stink. If, if I'm honest, right, with you, that, that would really stink. But can I tell you, after looking at so many parents who've come to me saying, would you pray for my kids who just, uh, it really, really, really stinks when your kids decide in 10th or 11th or 12th grade or in college that, you know what, I, I don't think I just really need Jesus anymore. That really, really stinks. That's really, really bad. So put Jesus first. You know, there was once this little old lady who uh, had this nice young man uh, living next to her. He was, uh, he was kind, he was gracious, full of faith. So one day, um, she got a chance to ask him, said, you know, how, come, how, how did you get this way? How did you get so kind and gracious and full of faith? And he said, well, you know what? You might not believe it, but when I was young, I had a drug problem. And she said, no, that can't possibly be true. And he said, yeah, actually, it's true. My parents drug me to church on Sunday morning. They drug me to church on Sunday night. They drug me to church on Wednesday. Amen. That's good preaching, Pastor. Way to go. So, listen, I don't say any of this to, like, heap stuff on you or I'm angry at you or anything like that, but I, I believe God loves you and loves your children and loves your grandchildren, and putting God first, putting Jesus first is going to make a tremendous difference in their life and for eternity. So bring them often, bring them regularly. Let them know by word and by example that Jesus is first place in your family. Nothing comes before Jesus. Lead them to Jesus. And then secondly, we need to let them come to Jesus. Children have such a tremendous value that we need to let them 
come to him. Now you say, well, what do you mean by that, Pastor Paul? How is that different than lead them to Jesus? Well, look at the next verses again, the end of verse 13 and verse 14. People were bringing little children to Jesus to place his hands on them, and it says this, but the disciples rebuked them. And when Jesus saw this, he was indignant. He said to them, let the little children come to me and do not hinder them. He says, do not hinder them. You know, there are many hindrances that children have in coming to Jesus. I mean, in the world that children are confronted with, there are many obstacles to faith that are often placed in their way. I mean, there are false value systems that are communicated to them, sometimes in television, in movies, in advertising, in social media, sometimes in schools. False anti-biblical value systems. You know, the devil, the Bible says he's a liar, and he wants to lie to your children uh, through all of these various means and tell them things that are not true and give them a false value system. It's an obstacle. And then there's also challenging life situations. You know, not every child has an intact, stable, loving home with well-adjusted parents. God bless you. If you're a parent here and you're, and you're providing that for, our children, for your children, God bless you in that. Not every child has that. Some children face dysfunctional situations, maybe abusive parents, maybe alcoholic parents or or drugs in the home, or maybe a single-parent family. And these things can be obstacles to faith, hindrances to faith in Jesus, and can cause struggles for children. But the body of Christ should be about removing hindrances to children coming to faith in Jesus. And i got to say, praise God for all of you families who are bringing your children to church. You're creating a life that is free from obstacles to their faith, creating a broad path of faith for them. And praise God, too, for things like the bus ministry in this church. Praise God for that. Those of you who have been involved for years and some of you who are just coming on now, you are removing hindrances from children and creating a straight path for them to Jesus. Praise God for that. Praise God for all of you Sunday school and uh, children's church teachers and MPAC Girls Club leaders and World Rangers leaders. Uh, you are removing hindrances for children and creating a place where they can experience Jesus. The body of Christ should be all about removing hindrances, removing obstacles from the faith of children. But sadly, it isn't always that way. Look at our passage. Look who is hindering the children. It's his disciples. I mean, and they should have been the last people who were hindering children from coming to Jesus. I mean, really, this is somewhat shocking, isn't it? And Jesus seems shocked and dismayed as well. If you can, look at it through Jesus' eyes for a minute as he's looking at the scene. He hasn't told them. He hasn't told the disciples not to let the children through. Many, many times they've seen him welcome and minister to children. What has gotten into these disciples that they are hindering children from coming to him? I don't. Maybe they had their own agenda. Maybe they had their own timetable. Maybe they're trying to manage Jesus. Whatever it is, clearly it's, it's not the agenda and purposes of Jesus that they have in mind. It's something else that's motivating them. And so they're hindering these children, and the, the, the people who should have been the most welcoming are putting obstacles in their way. And not only that, but in the process, they're misrepresenting Jesus to children. As his disciples, they represented Jesus to the crowds and to the people. And in that moment, when they, as they were rebuking people, they're misrepresenting Jesus to children. So if you can for a minute, look at it through the children's eyes. They've heard about this Jesus, they're excited to see him, and they really don't know what to uh, expect, but they don't know what he's like, but uh, as they get close, they notice that Jesus' disciples seem upset. They're rebuking people, they're angry at people. 
And they're angry with your parents, and they're angry at you, and you don't know what you did wrong, but you do know this. Jesus' disciples are angry people. Jesus' disciples are, are scary people. And if you know anything about children, they don't go to angry people, right? They don't go to scary people. You know, one time, about 20, over 20 years ago, I was a pastor at a church, uh, this church. I was standing outside on the, on the stairways of the church, the main entrance, talking with somebody. And the way this church was, um, if you stood on a stairway this way, out in front of you, there was a, a whole development of, you know, residential houses and Behind the church was uh, a busy road, and one year across from that busy road, they built a school there, uh, a um, junior high. And so they built a, a footbridge across so the kids could come over and then get to the, the residential area there. And so um, they would walk around the back of the church on that pathway and come around and then into the residential area. So I was standing there one day, and this one kid, uh, he got to the end, and instead of walking all the way down and into the, he, he crossed through the parking lot, and crossed over in front of us there and got to where his house was, and he jumped over the fence uh, into the yard there. And I don't know what got into this guy I was talking to, but it struck him the wrong way. And he started yelling at this kid. I mean, he's screaming his head off, his full head off. Hey, what are you doing? Don't you do that, you ridiculous delinquent. And I don't know all the words he said. And he's, he's just going off, and it's just spewing out of him. And he's yelling at this kid. And I, and I said to him, I stop. Stop. I said, don't do that. And he's like, well, he shouldn't do that. He shouldn't be doing that. I said, yeah, well, you shouldn't be doing this. What's right? He shouldn't be doing They've got to learn not to. And I said, look. I said, first off, the kid didn't do anything wrong. He walked through a parking lot and jumped over a fence. The fence is strong. There's no damage. He wasn't. Of all the wrong things that kids might do, this wasn't one of them. Secondly, if we don't want them to, he says, you're not a pastor here. You're not even a board member. You can't be, decide who it is you're going to make not climb the fence. We are fine with this kid climbing the fence. And, and I said, thirdly, if someone does need to be corrected, not that way. Because all this kid knows is, boy, that, he doesn't know who you are. You might be a pastor here. All these kids knows is that, boy, those church people are angry people, right? That was a stumbling block. That was an obstacle put in that young kid's way. All that kid knows is that, man, those church people are really concerned about their fence. The day that we are more concerned about the property than we are about the children and the, the souls that they are is the day we need to stop and ask our God to re, reorient our heart. You know, can I stop for a minute and just say thank you to so many of you who from time to time I've seen you smile at a kid, make a kid feel welcome, make them feel like they belong here. Thank you so much. In our passage, Jesus sees that these children are getting a warped picture of who he is, and he can't let it stand, so he steps in, and he was indignant, and, the, and he was upset, and he let everybody know that he wasn't happy about the children being hindered from coming to him, and he removed the obstacles. And then he goes on to say something awesome, something amazing. In the second half of, half of verse 14, he says, the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. The kingdom of God belongs to children. You mean it's not just for adults? No, it's for children too. And Jesus, he had been preaching the kingdom of God now for several years, and he had been preaching that the kingdom of God had arrived, and he's been preaching and ministering the kingdom of God for, for all this time, and the good news is being preached to the poor, people are being healed, the dead are being raised, the blind are receiving their sight, demons are on the run, 
And Jesus says that all of this, it not only belongs to adults, it also belongs to children. And so here's the idea. Children are the church of today. How many of you heard it said children are the church of tomorrow? They're not the church of tomorrow, they're the church of today. They're the leaders of tomorrow and the church of today. They're, oh, they're not leaders yet, and the, sometimes they mess up, sometimes they get themselves in trouble, sometimes they need some gentle, loving correction, sometimes they need some guidance, right? They're not perfect, right? But the truth is, I mean, sometimes we mess up too, right? Sometimes we get ourselves in trouble, sometimes we need some gentle correction from God. Sometimes we need some guidance from the Holy Spirit, right? We're not perfect. They're not perfect, but what they are is welcome, and what they are is accepted. And Jesus wants them to have access to him, access to his word, access to his grace, access to the Holy Spirit. And so he removes hindrances and obstacles from before children. Children are tremendously valuable, so we should let them come to Jesus. And then thirdly, children are not only valuable to Jesus, they are valuable to us. Because there's something that we can learn of the kingdom of God from them. Look at verse 15 again. It says, truly, I tell you, anyone who will not receive the kingdom of God like a little child will never enter it. So Jesus not only removed the hindrances from before the children, he then went on to use them as an object lesson, saying, learn from these children. Do you see their childlike faith? Do you see how they received me without complicating things? Do you see how they received the kingdom of God with such simple faith and trust? He's saying to us, be like that. Learn from the faith of a child. Receive the kingdom of God with simple faith. You know, the world we face, you know, sometimes uh, uh, it challenges us and it tends to have this tendency to beat us up to make us apathetic and cold or to become cynical and lose our first love. And Jesus is saying, keep looking at the children. However complicated life gets, don't let it complicate your faith. However cynical and apathetic the world gets, don't let it make you cynical and apathetic. So even if, if you ever begin to feel all beat up and jaded and worked over and cynical, look at a child. Look at the children again. Learn from them. Have faith in them. Engage Jesus like a child does. Engage the kingdom of God with all the simple, wide-eyed, trusting faith of a small child. Learn from the children. And then lastly, love them. Children are so tremendously valuable that Jesus loves them, and he wants us to love them too. Look at verse 16 again. It says, he took the children in his arms, placed his hands on them, and blessed them. Jesus loves children, and he wants us to love them as well. And so here in this verse, Jesus gives us a great model for how to love children. If you're wondering, how can I love children? Well, just follow Jesus' example in this verse. And very quickly, there are three ways that Jesus loved children. First, he spent time with them. He's, he carved out time in his busy schedule. I know, we all lead busy lives, right? We all have busy, important things to do. But I don't think any of us is more busy than Jesus was. And I don't think any of us is on a mission that is more important than the mission that Jesus was on. He carved out time for children, made time for children. And then secondly, Jesus embraced them. Jesus loved them by embracing them. It says that he took them in his arms to bless them. He intentionally made them feel welcome, made them feel loved and accepted. And so if we're going to love children the way that Jesus does, we need to embrace them. I don't mean necessarily physically, but spiritually and emotionally, we need to welcome them. 
and go out of our way to make them feel welcome, make them feel wanted. We need to embrace them. And then thirdly, Jesus blessed them. Jesus loved children by blessing them. And so in Jesus' day, it was common for people to seek out a rabbi and, and, and bring children to them and have them lay their hands on him and pronounce a blessing, pronounce something good on that child. And, uh, and this actually happened to Jesus himself when he was an infant. And his mother brought him to the temple, and Simeon took him in his arms and spoke about him. And so they'd seek out a rabbi to, to bless them, and that's what they were doing here on this day. Can I tell you, as a father, I would often seek times when I could bless my children. I wanted them to know that, that I believed in them, that I believed for good things for them, that, that I believed that God has a purpose for them, that they are designed just how God intended them to be. I wanted them to know that, that they're welcome in my house, that they're not a burden, that, I, that I'm glad that they were in our family. I wanted them to know that if they submit themselves to God, that he would see that his purposes in their lives would come to fruition. I wanted to bless them. I wanted them to live under the blessing and favor of God. So I encourage you, Bless your children. Speak blessing over them. Encourage them. Build them up. Make them welcome. And in the church, bless children. Believe in them. Find ways to encourage them. Find ways for them to experience God's grace and favor. Children are tremendously valuable. So we should lead them to Jesus. We should let them come and remove obstacles and hindrances. We should learn from them, and we should love them.